welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. We're going to continue our series, uh, Rebels, Riots and Revolutionaries, which is simply an overview of the book of Acts. And I must say that in my absence, I've listened to the messages and Pete and Says did an incredible job ministering the word. So well done to you two. And hopefully I can uh, do just as good a job this morning. As I've mentioned, this is an overview. It's not an exegesis. It's not a line upon line study of the book of Acts. It's an overview that will hopefully give us a greater hunger for the things of God and a hunger for the Word of God. And we've looked at all sorts of topics and subjects so far. Things such as the Holy Spirit, persecution, hypocrisy, leadership, etc., etc. But for the sake of time, I'm just going to delve right into what I want to share with you today. And uh, we're up to part um, seven, I think it is. And I've entitled this uh, series or this part, The Good, the Bad and the Ugly. The good, the bad and the ugly. Because church has it all. Stop complaining. Stop informing me. I know there's good, there's bad, and there's the downright ugly. Isn't that right, Drew? How you doing, mate? You're right? Good. <laughs> but life is good. People are beautiful. And God is great. And so today, I want to get through three chapters of the book of Acts. But I don't want to read it all for the sake of time. So you can do that in your own time. Chapters 6, 7 and 8. But I will read some verses from those particular chapters. Starting at verse or chapter 6, verse 8, it says, Now Stephen, everyone say Stephen. He was a man full of God's grace and power and did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. You think everyone will be happy then, yeah? No. Ugly. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue, the religious people, people that were churchgoers, and they argued with Stephen. Acts 7 verse 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they I mean, that's that's a vision. That's, That's an incredible vision. You think all the people will be happy? Yes? No. He's sharing the vision and they're covering their ears. They're covering their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. They rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Everyone say Saul. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And Saul was there giving approval to Stephen's death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Verse 5. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed Christ there. Now for some time a young man named sorry a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man 
is divine power known as the great power. Acts chapter 8, verse 17. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon the sorcerer saw the Spirit was giving at the laying on of hands, he offered them money. He wanted to be able to do the same thing too. Because he was great. Woo. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in the chariot reading from the book of Isaiah the prophet. I've just picked a few verses out of those three chapters just to give you some overview of the events in those three chapters. And what you'll notice in those events is there's a whole lot of people listed by name. There's a man by the name of Simon and there's a man by the name of Stephen and Philip and Peter and John and Saul. whole heap of people by name mentioned in those passages of Scripture. And the thing I want to highlight firstly this morning is simply this, that church life involves people. Are you a people this morning? It involves people. There's a number of people mentioned by name. Church is full of all kinds of people. Which means there's all kinds of issues. And there's all kinds of stages in life that people come to church in. We see the mature people. We see that in Stephen. Stephen was a man who faced opposition, not because he was rude, not because he was arrogant, not because he did any wrong, but because he was preaching the Word of God and people didn't like it. But he was faithful even unto death. The religious people covered their ears. They rushed him. They took him out of the city and they stoned him to death. And he was faithful because he was mature. We see this maturity in Philip who was willing to do anything at any time, anywhere. He would go anywhere at any time and do anything. There's the mature. We also see there's the opponents. People like Saul who persecute the church. And they kill if they have to. And not only that, they get others to do their dirty work for them. It says there was a young man by the name of Saul who was standing there giving his approval to the death of Stephen. So there's those opponents to the church. There's the pretenders. People like Simon the sorcerer, who who kind of like what they see, but what they like is the bits that they can get something out of it. And so when they see this ability to be able to lay hands on people and fill them with the Holy Spirit, they want that. They want all the good bits. They don't want the discipline. They don't want the chastisement. They don't want all those things, but they just want the bits that they can get out of it. They're happy to come to church for a while in order to find a wife. And once they've got their wife, they go. The pretenders. And then there's the seekers. Like the Ethiopian eunuch. 
a man who was seeking the truth. He wasn't sure about a lot of things, but he was asking the right questions. And he asked Philip to explain to him what he was reading. He said, I don't get the Bible. Have you ever not got the Bible if you've tried to read it? Well, that's what was happening here. But this Ethiopian eunuch had enough wisdom to say, I don't get it. Can you help me to understand? And in his chariot, he had this little Bible study. The Bible says, blessed are the hungry for they should be filled. If you want to know who to invest your time in, look for hunger. Don't waste this time with people who aren't hungry. Some people just, just invest in people who, who, who just are not hungry for the things of God. This man was hungry. The amazing thing about these group of people that we see in the book of Acts, the mature, the, the opponents, the pretenders, the seekers, all these people are represented here today. Don't tell me that the Bible is old-fashioned. Untrue, boring, or irrelevant. These four groups of people that are in the book of Acts are here in this room today. We've got the mature, we've got the opponents, we've got the seekers, and we've got the pretenders. Don't look at anybody, just look straight ahead. (laughs) They're in this room right now. And here's the good news, you're all welcome. You're all welcome. But it is my prayer that you would meet Christ And that every one of us in this room would go on to maturity. I say all that to say this, that we've got to take our rose-colored glasses off when it comes to church. This notion that certain things that you see in church shouldn't happen. That shouldn't happen. Call yourselves a Christian. We've got to take our rose-colored glasses off. Some people think, you know, we've got to get back to the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, there was the pretenders. There were the opponents, there were the cheats, there were the gossips, there were the slanderers in church. And so instead of just looking at the Bible through rose-colored glasses, we've got to look at it in real terms and look how to deal with real issues and real people. Because church life involves people. And wherever there are people, there are problems. And wherever there are people, things happen. And we had a great day yesterday at our working bee. It was great. We got lots done. But can I categorically stand up here and tell you there was not one argument? Oh, I, I wish I could say it was, it was not only great that we got all this work done, but you know what? The hills were alive with the sound of music. And there was peace and there was harmony and there was singing. And we were merry and gay. But it wasn't always like that. I was in my office doing something for Donna on my computer. And I heard three guys going at each other. I mean, they were getting stuck into each other. And I'd like to tell you that these were immature people. I'd like to tell you that these are people who had just come to the church and only just met Jesus. I would like to tell you that they don't even, I'd like to tell you they weren't even part of our church. 
I'd like to tell you that they weren't even Christians. I'd love to be able to tell you that, but I can't. What I can tell you is that they're on staff. <laughs> and they were going each other. Three men. Our staff isn't massive, so it's kind of getting things right now. And one of them wasn't me, and it wasn't Pete either. And they were going for it, and I'm on my computer. And call me sick. Tell me I've got a problem. But I just laughed. Because these things happen. I would much rather that than have three people here doing something than those who didn't argue yesterday because they weren't here. We had one guy who was asked to make something and another guy was asked to make the very same thing. Kind of got a little bit confusing. (laughs) And just as this one gentleman was putting in the finishing screw to the thing that he'd been asked to do, <laughs> the other guy runs into the room, done it! We've got two! <laughs> we only need one. Which probably explains why one person went outside and threw the thing and broke it. <laughs> I'd, love you to, I'd love to say that they weren't Christians, but they are! I'd love to say that they're not, you know, one of them's not on our deacon team, but they are. It's life. Let's get rid of this notion that as Christians, you've got to be per- what, what, what mesmerizes me and falls me to fall in love with Jesus on a daily basis is that he came to this world while we were stinking sinners, messing up and messing, doing all sorts of crazy things. Such is his love. That defines his love. Anyone can love someone when they're doing the right thing. But to love people when they're stuffing up and messing around, that's when the church can shine. That, that can separate the true Christian church from religion. When we just love people. Yeah, we have to deal with sin and we have to deal with issues, but man, can we, can we please love people? Take the rose-colored glasses off. As if somehow there was no problems in the Bible. There's problems because there's people. There's problems here because there's people. People are beautiful. Life is good. And God is great. And so church life involves people. Got to get used to it. Secondly, God is working all things for the good. In Acts chapter 8 verse 1, as we've already read, it says Saul was there giving approval to Stephen's death. And on that day, great persecution, not persecution, not small persecution, but great. I'm going to say great. Almost puts a shudder down your spine. Great. (laughs) Great 
persecution broke out against who? The church. This is a classic case of things going from bad to worse. You would think after the martyrdom of Stephen, a man of God, God would have come down and rescued the church. No, it gets worse. Where's God? If God was a God of love, why would he let this happen? If God was a God of love, why doesn't he intervene right now? And it gets worse. Because God's got a plan. See, Jesus said to the disciples, I want you to go into all of the world. I want you to disciple the nations. And somehow the church at this time was enjoying such momentum and, 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 and having such fun that they forgot one thing. The world. It's great what they were doing in Jerusalem. And so God allows certain things to happen, to shake things up a little, to make sure that his word is fulfilled. And so persecution breaks out. And the church scatters. It's over. No, no, no. It's just getting started. As the church scatters, the word of God goes out. And so the word of God is not contained now just to Jerusalem. It's actually going out into all the world, which is what Jesus said. Sometimes we just settle, don't we? We get comfortable. And we, we, we settle on the promise of God. We say, well, this will do. Because no, no, I promised you more. I love the fact that Benno has allowed himself to be scrutinized and, and challenged and chastised so that he changes, so that he can have the more of God in his life. Hasn't just settled. Hasn't just settled for the comfortable life. Because he understands and, and trusts that God is working all things together for the good. Something may not be sent by God necessarily, but it can still be used by God. Something might not be going well in your life right now. And it may not necessarily be sent from God. It may not be a gift to you from God. It may even be because of your own stupidity that you're suffering in some area of your life. It may not be God sent, but God can still use it. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is working all things together for the good? See, I think what God is trying to do is get us as a church to grow up. See, immature Christians want the absence of suffering. That's what we want. But it's not about the absence of suffering. Mature Christians know it's not about the absence of suffering. It's about the presence of God. And God is trying to get us from a place of immaturity to maturity. 
He's trying to get our prayer to change from take this from me as opposed to can I have more of your presence? Paul, on one occasion, the Bible says, pleaded with God on numerous occasions because of a thorn, inverted commas, in his flesh. We don't know what the thorn is. Some better, more qualified men than me have argued and debated what that thorn is and they cannot agree. It's not the point. The point is, it was a thorn to Paul. Whether it was a physical thing, whether it was a sickness, whether it was an ailment, whether it was a person, whether it was a relationship. Personally, I'm leaning towards people because people are a big pain in the neck at times. And Paul says three times, God, remove this thorn. Remove this thorn. Remove this thorn. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Remove this woman. Remove this man. Remove this problem. Three times. And God seems to be silent. And then he speaks. And Paul has this incredible revelation. God says to him, my grace is sufficient for you. It's not the absence of the thorn that you need. It's more of my grace. That's what you need. I'm working all things together for the good. I'm using these moments in your life to have more of me. And so then Paul moves from immaturity to maturity. He moves from understanding to greater understanding. And he starts boasting now in his weakness because he realizes in his weakness, that's when he's most strong because that's when he has more of God. And so even Paul and his thorn is working together for the good. Everything is working together for the good. Do you believe that? God is doing more behind our backs than in front of our face. Some of you say, I I wish God would reveal his plan and purpose for my life. You don't want to know that. It'll freak you out. I'm convinced God in his sovereignty, grace, love and mercy hides things from us. As every good parent does for their kids. Can you imagine, follow me camera guys, can you imagine sitting down with your kids the age of three, saying, kids, there's some things you need to know about life. One day, you might find a lady that you fall in love with and you get married and you'll have some good days. Oh, but there's going to be some terrible days, son. You need to know that. You have to get a job. You have to earn lots of money to support your wife's habits <laughs> and to pay off the house then you're going to have kids and they're going to cost you everything you've got son and you fill their heads with all this stuff I'm telling you a kid at that age doesn't want to know that stuff if I had known that I was to be 
call to ministry and become a pastor and lead a church, if I had known that at 15, I would have said, take me now, Jesus. <laughs> what you don't know about your future, say thank you, God. Don't worry about what you don't know. I'm too busy trying to deal with what I do know and do understand about the Word of God. This whole thing of loving your enemies, it's still kind of is a sticking point for me. Remember about Revelation and the red horse? What does a red horse mean in Revelation? What does that mean? I don't know, but the loving your enemies, you know, struggling with that one. God's not going to worry too much whether you understand that every horse in the Revelation. Just concern yourself with the things that you do know. And you do understand. God's working all things together for the good. And lastly this morning, the public and the personal are both important. In Acts chapter 8 verse 6, it says when the crowds, everyone say crowds. So lots of people heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did. They played, uh, paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many, many paralytics and cripples were healed. There was great joy in that city. That's awesome. Who'd want to leave that? I mean, Philip's arrived. This is the Philip that was one of the deacons that was waiting on the tables, looking after you know, the women, which is what says preached on last Sunday night. He's doing the servant thing. He's, he's separating you know, women from women so they're not fighting over the food. He's done that faithfully. Now he's got his moment. Great crowds, great joy in the city. He's arrived. Ah, he's there. This is my moment. God has seen my faithfulness. Now I've arrived. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road. He's like, I've arrived. Now go. What? I mean, that, you've got to say, hang on, I, I, you're an angel, I can see that, but you're an angel from there, or you're an angel from down there. I mean, like, <laughs> go. To the desert? Really? Yeah. And on his way, he meets one person. Great crowds, one person. Which one is it? Is it the great crowds or is it the one? It's both. It's both. Because God is wanting individuals to be cared for in the midst of the crowd. I believe that as this church continues to grow and as it gets larger and larger, the ones need to be cared for. When I preach, I'm always mindful of the one. I don't, I don't ever feel like I'm preaching to a crowd. I want to preach to the one. There's individual needs, individual concerns. And we need to do our best in the midst of the crowd to remember the one.
just practically for us as a church, a growing church, how do we marry up the crowds and the one? Well, it's not easy. It's just not. I love both. Some people just want the crowd because it's impersonal. They can hide. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I love the crowd. I, I love the getting together, the Sunday celebrations. Big band, big noise, big praise, big... I love it. And it feeds me and it encourages me. But as good as that is, we need the small, we need the intimate, we need the personal. And that's why we push for every one of you to be part of a connect group. And in that connect group, you can get a care and you get attention that you can't get on the Sunday. It's not one or the other. It's both and. Sunday celebration. This is a statement to our community. It's a statement to our city that God is alive and well. That life is good and people are beautiful and God is great. But we also need times where it's one-on-one. Times in small groups. We see this outworked in the way God loves this world. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the whole world that he sent his son. And his son ministered to great crowds. But on many occasions, he dealt with the one. There was one woman caught in the act of adultery. They brought her to Jesus. And Jesus met her where she was at. There was one man who climbed a tree because he couldn't see Jesus because he was short and there was a big crowd. And Jesus called the one in the tree. God loves the whole world. But don't think that he doesn't see you. This is what separates Christianity from every other religion that's out there. That we have a God who loves us and knows us personally. Every other religion outside of Christianity is trying to get to God. Christianity is God coming to man. Every other religion is man trying to get to God. God loved us so much, loved this whole world so much, that he left the splendor of heaven to come and spend time with people. People are beautiful. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen.